Cavalry's back. We are no one. We are everyone. We are invisible. I'm just gonna ask you a series of questions. Answer them honestly. You believe your life is under direct and immediate threat? I wear the mask to protect myself. Three years of peace. And we convinced ourselves that they were gone. But they were just hibernating. And that time is near. It's the end of the world. It's only just begun. Hello and welcome to Who Watches, a show about the HBO series Watchmen. I'm Travis Fishburne. I'm Dustin Meadows. And Ryan will be uh, chiming in with some of his thoughts on the episode later. Um, but as of this week, it's going to be just Dustin and myself. Ryan um, had to take off. He was tired of being caught in the tangle of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> Went to Mars. <laughs> so uh, as we wait on... a. Uh, Ryan's return will be diving into season one, episode five, Little Fear of Lightning. And this week, uh, as much as last week was felt like a little bit of a filler episode, not in a, a, an overt way, but it, it felt like we we're just like setting places on the table. Um, and a lot of scenes played out and there weren't as many easter eggs here or there whereas with this episode from the get-go like just beginning to end i was just so overwhelmed with oh my gosh it's this oh my gosh it's that yeah yeah we we learned a lot this week uh so for for lack of uh this was a looking glass episode Uh essentially we finally got some background into wade uh and also oh boy did we just get bombarded with information and uh, revelations uh, in the show. There's, got, I mean, we could sit here and talk for two hours and we're probably still going to miss some stuff. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's just so much. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this week, so the, the show opens. Yep. The episode opens, begins mm, in uh, Hoboken, Hoboken, New Jersey, New Jersey in 1985, 1985, which from the rip, did, did you see that and go, oh, okay, this is going to happen during the event? I had an idea, and this is just because of the footage I have seen prior to this. I I know that there was, in the trailer for the series, we see a shot of a naked young man screaming while, like, there's some kind of, yeah, and and it, like, is, like, pulling out, and I I recognize that. I'm like, oh, this is, oh, oh, something bad's going to happen. Yeah, as as (laughs) soon as I saw 1985, I was like, I feel like this has to be, like, 11-2. Like, this is the the night that it happens. Yeah. Uh, Some of the other little telltales, because they they even mentioned the Doomsday Clock has been moved to, like, mm -hmm, one minute to midnight. Uh, And then we see... I can't remember their name in the comic, but we even see the gang. Top Knots. Top Knots, yeah. yes. We see we see members of that gang uh, that initially harass Wade when he's passing out the, the religious pamphlets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, if you look at their shirt, they're wearing, uh, on the shirt it says Katie's, which is the oh, kind of drugs that are in Watchmen. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, so it was really interesting seeing this scene play out because like I... I, I knew where I, I was 99% sure that I knew exactly where it was headed mm-hmm. by the end of it. And, and that shook out. It was, yeah, it was really interesting to see Wade as this kind of cleaned up, like, uh, obviously witness. religious character yeah. uh, whose faith was important to him at some point. 
I sincerely, for a moment, thought that the uh, the the lady top knot member was going to bang him in that funhouse <laughs> uh, instead of just pull a cruel prank on him. Yeah, no, that was uh, pretty terrible um, and a pretty like kind of horrific, like traumatizing thing for yeah. a kid of his age to experience to begin with and try to get over. Yeah, but on top of this happening, you've got the event. I feel like if you were just having a normal moment in any day would traumatize you for the rest of your life. So you mix that in with this and he's got a surge of psychic images that are like shot into his brain and he comes out and he sees all these dead bodies with very few like select remaining that are alive (laughs) And he's just left screaming, what happened? How how much worse would it have been if she had slept with him? If he'd lost his virginity and then forever had that sense memory association with, if I have sex, millions of people die. <laughs> I mean, I think it's still <laughs> deeply tied in anyway. Because I, I, he almost. Yeah, based on. Yeah, because there was still a sexual component mm-hmm. to it. Some stuff that we saw with the. Uh, him and his ex yeah and and the issues that he's still dealing with to this day regarding that Mm -hmm. very similar to how uh rorschach's history and his relationship with his mother and her clientele and how all of that feeds into his lack of sexuality really Mm -hmm. because he seems to not Rorschach seems to really not be sexually have any sexual proclivities one way or the other. Um, he doesn't like seeing women. He he makes comments about uh, Silk Spectre's costume about how he doesn't really like it. Yeah. Whereas, yeah, it, it's just like these traumatizing events that kind lead of these shaped people, his sexuality yeah. or lack mm-hmm. thereof. I mean, we see it later. Like Wade clearly has sexual impulses still to an extent. But it seems like they're they're wrapped up in a lot of baggage. Yeah. Yeah, there's just so many little Easter eggs in this scene as well. Like you said, with the top knots, the Katie's, we see a, a poster for the Pale Horse concert. Yeah, yeah. There's a kid reading a Black Freighter comic on the ground with the uh, the Vite method uh, advertised on the back. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> there's a poster for Gay Women Against Rape, which is yeah. a thing in the comic. Oh, man, that acronym is GUAR. Yep, it is. Which I <laughs> never put that together until just now. I want. I can't imagine that. I feel like it's got to be a happy coincidence, but who knows? Yeah, I think GUAR originated like two years before this comic. So oh, I don't yeah, know if Alan sense. Moore is like... <laughs> yeah, I'll just throw this in there. Mm-hmm. So the event happens um, while Careless Whisper is playing. Yeah. Which is a, a big main component, and when he comes out and he sees all the bodies and it's like playing in this slow warped way and the way the bodies, it sounds like it's a thousand years away when he's hearing it once he comes out and the bodies look the way that they do in the comic. When we see all of them, the, Mm -hmm. the clock that's been knocked over in the just, gush of blood that's covering it is, yeah. is very it comes straight out of the comic mm-hmm. in the pale horse concert and then of yeah. course we get that wide pull out and as all the way to new pulling, york city and I finally just, see tentacles appearing yeah. and then a gigantic squid smacking the sun on new york yeah the whole time that was it kept pulling out i was like are they gonna 
Are they going to show it? Are they going to show it? They, yep. Oh my, they showed it. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so yeah. And then uh, just a terrible, horrific scene. And then it cuts from that. Well, during the pan, we hear Frank Sinatra's New York, New York. Yeah. And it cuts to an advertisement of people encouraging people to come back to New York City because mm-hmm. it's uh, it's still great, guys. <laughs> it's safe again. And uh, yeah, Wade's watching a, a focus group react to the ad. Mm-hmm. His cover for not being a cop is he's watching these focus groups and he's telling these marketers if their ads are actually working or not. Yep. Seems to be like a really great use of his skill yeah you know, solid cover out of, outside of law enforcement and inside that uh that ad itself there were a bunch of like little references and easter eggs um there's the promethean cab company in the background mm-hmm. there's also the silhouette of the man and the woman <clears throat> and it's a uh, for an advertisement uh millennium by vite oh yeah yeah the the pseudo blast shadow yeah. imagery yeah so oh and then of course there's was I think the mayor eating calamari? Uh huh. It's like we fry our squid now. Yeah, we like our squid with a lemon and a little marinara. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Uh, but yeah, Wade tells uh, them that their ad didn't work and that the people were scared and that all their ad does is remind folks uh, that three million people suffered a horrific, traumatizing, and inexplicable death. Mm-hmm. And I don't think the calamari helped. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The great line, which. Part of me, too, watching this uh, wonders if there was kind of a similar push after 9-11. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I'm sure there was. It's like this terrible, awful tragedy probably, probably certainly hurt their tourism for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's just interesting because the way that this show refers to the event, they refer to it as... 11-2, which yeah. they take that directly from real world and the fact that that's how we refer to September 11th. Is, Absolutely. How else do you yeah. reference that other than like that date? You know. Yeah, no, you say that date and, and nobody has any confusion as to what you're referencing. Yeah. And that, yeah, that was this, every time they said 11-2, I was like, yeah, that really, like that literally is their 9-11. Yeah. So that it makes sense. Because that's the thing too, in this world, like with everything, all the changes that have happened, nine eleven probably never actually happened in this no. world. Which, which is something bizarre, because so I feel like so much like pop culture in the wake of that event, like even if it doesn't explicitly reference it to it, just by sheer virtue of it taking place, quote unquote, in the real world, it exists in a timeline where nine eleven happened, but mm-hmm. Watchmen does not. Yeah, I'm actually going to uh, test something out here. Um, you can keep talking. if See, you... see if uh, 9-11 does exist within the Watchmen universe? Well, they, they start with a, a shot of Manhattan. And I didn't take a look. Uh, usually I'm looking at... Oh, to see fr- if the Twin Towers I want to see if standing? the Twin Towers are still there. Interesting. So uh, I'm looking at the shot right now. And they are showing a portion of Manhattan that conveniently uh, doesn't show where the Twin Towers would or wouldn't be. Of course. So... Interesting, but I mean, I feel like I feel like it's still probably a safe bet to yeah. assume oh, that, yeah. that people it would did. still be united and yeah, fear of that rather than you know what what ended up happening. Yeah, I mean, maybe eleven two means we never never uh, walked back on our arms deals with the Middle East and whatnot, and our uh, 
support of Mujahideen forces like in Rambo 3. So yeah, interesting dialogue that he has with these guys and they say something that I think is like pretty cool thematically. They say people buy things out of fear all the time. Yeah. Which is what, you know, (laughs) everything that Vite was betting on when he made this happen. Yeah, it was people being scared and then watching stock rise Mm -hmm. for all kinds of things. Yeah. Which, yeah, absolutely true. Um, Throw into another property really quick. Within the world of The Purge movies, I mean, that's a big part of, like, the security business is them upselling people for, like, Purge and I for, like, home defenses and, like, armored shutters and all this stuff. So, I mean... We see something similar in this episode. Yeah, with Wade's uh, bunker. Yeah, with his uh, extra-dimensional security. Yeah. Yeah. So then uh, Wade leaves. He changes cars at a storage facility and puts on his mask to become Looking Glass. And then he arrives at a meeting held by Blake um, where she tells everyone in the force that since they've come up with nothing, they're going to do things her way. She tells them that if they find the church where the video was taken, they'll find the cavalry. And after the meeting, Sister Knight asks Looking Glass what his ex said about the pills she wanted tested. So then Blake has a meeting with Glass um, in which she really is. I, I, after I watched this scene several times, I was like, what was she actually, what was this meeting about? Because all she does is like go through his roster of like yeah. who he is and his history. And then what she really wanted out of the meeting was the, oh, by the way, like w- what pills were Angela talking about? Yeah. Well, that, yeah, which is weird that, Cause like she tips her hands like, oh, I've got your desk bugged. Yeah, and like he obviously is very indignant about it as he should be, and she's very blasé. She is like, we're the, we're the FBI. We we bug things. Yep, exactly. And uh, yeah, she's like running through his paper. She's like, oh, you're uh, you're in New York on eleven two. Um, she said that she's heard that people who are there in the psychic blast zone still wake up in the middle of the night screaming. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he responds, I sleep just fine. Mm-hmm. Yep, and uh, it's revealed that the mask that he wears is uh, made out of reflectatine, which is guaranteed protection from psychic blasts, which this extra-dimensional security is producing. Yep. Um, which is really cool because up until this point, we just thought that Looking Glass's mask was just something that looked really cool but it's yeah. nice to know that it's functional it looks cool yeah with like this practicality yeah this very deep-seated it. like that well it's still tied to his ptsd oh, after surviving yeah. the the event yeah she said it gives like after the white knight he joined the force and it's because it gave him an excuse to wrap the whole thing around his head yep because when he's not wearing the mask and he's walk it around as Wade. He's wearing a hat that's lined with it. Lined with it, yeah. Yeah, another interesting thing uh, in this scene is there's another double focus shot uh, on the desk with Judd's nameplate Mm -hmm. and Blake in the background where they took two shots and spliced them together, Mm -hmm. which is interesting. He knows that she's on to whatever him and uh, Angela are up to. Yeah, Mm. which seems... Seems weird that she would tip her hand, presumably not knowing what's going to happen later yeah. with Wade. Yeah, I don't think she's in on any of that at all. Yeah, we, yeah. so it's, it, it seems very 
very out of character because, like, at this point, the assumption would be that Wade would just not hold conversations at his desk of a sensitive nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. And another interesting thing was uh, Red Scare was eating a sandwich using the lettuce yeah, from, oh, the, from the, the night truck, of the shooting, yeah. <laughs> which was seemed weird, but it was a way of them to introduce that and be like, hey, remember the lettuce? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's going to come into play again later. And then uh, Wade arrives home later, and he instantly puts on his mask, um, and he sits down and watches TV while eating beans out of a can. Yep. And an alarm goes off, and he runs out of his home and into his bunker, where he turns off the alarm and records his response time. And then the alarm goes off again, and then he has to go back to the house, and he frustratingly like destroys the alarm that refuses to turn off. Mm-hmm. Then he calls customer service. Uh, to get the the alarm replaced, and he agrees to pay the rush delivery on it, which is going to like double the amount. And uh-huh. he tells him to throw in another roll of reflectatine, and he uh, falls asleep on his couch in the bunker while wearing the mask. Yep. Well, then, oh, so we should uh, mention too during that scene, he's watching uh, American Hero Story. Yes, American Hero Story, which was not apparent at first no i i thought he was watching uh thematic porn that's exactly what it's it's hooded justice railing uh i don't remember captain metropolis captain metropolis Mm -hmm. yes uh so yeah i i initially too i was like i don't feel like this is the show (laughs) i feel like wade maybe just has superhero porn and is like Oh, no. Okay, this is American Hero Story. And yeah, this is, it is. We're seeing this for some reason. Yeah, they talk about, um, yeah, at the beginning of when it was going to air, they talk about like how it's going to incorporate all of these hardcore things. Yeah. That's one of them. And he, he has this like look of kind of shock and disgust on his face like while he's watching. Yeah. <laughs> he's got this look like, what, what am I watching <laughs> before yeah. the alarm goes off? Well, it's, also, it's, it's so bizarre, too, because it's like what purpose does it serve other than we find out as like hooded justice just never takes off his mask. Yeah. Uh, there's some, uh, things on PDpedia where he's talking, uh, this week where he's talking about the episodes that are airing and he continues to review them. And he uh-huh. talks about how the guy who made this show is like everything that's done is just in, in service of hooded justice. Uh, uh-huh. So there, there's a deeper dive into specifically the American horror, or not American horror, American hero story stuff uh, on PDPedia this week. Huh. Um, extra dimensional security, which uh, definitely uh, is profiting off of everything that happened yep. on the Paranoia event on the Which I'm I'm curious who runs that company because everybody, uh, Vite was the one who was in charge of the company. All the different pieces of companies that led up to the event itself. Yeah. Um, whereas this, I don't know if it's Vite's company or if it's True's or company it's or else. somebody else. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just everything in his life is, you just see this effect that it's, it's had on him where yeah. he's willing to spend any kind of money and, just drop anything so that he can feel more secure. Just for that little piece of mind that it offers. Um, up on the wall, too, beside the clock in his bunker, he's got an extraterrestrial squid science diploma. Where he takes this thing like, really seriously, where it's consumed his whole life. Yeah. 
the guy on the the line asks him like, well, how often are you running drills? And he says how often he deems necessary. Yeah. Which the guy says that recommends that you program an EDI simulation (laughs) no more than once every six weeks. So he's doing it more than that. Yeah, for sure. So it's just, it's really terrible. (laughs) Heartbreaking portrayal of what the cost of these lives that beyond the ones that actually died the, like how it's affected the living. Yes, exactly. All these people who have to deal with what happened when Adrian did that and how it's affecting them. And, and a certain, to a certain extent, the people who died are lucky because they don't have to deal with, with yeah, this. these prolonged effects, which I mean, and we also, we learned later that like there, obviously there are a lot of people who were in proximity mm-hmm. to or affected by it because they essentially have like, uh, an encounter group yeah uh for for those who have survived for those who are still troubled by it uh that wade seems like he's kind of running those meetings later mm-hmm. on yeah just lives in general uh, marriages and, and kids of the people is just yeah affecting everything um so yeah we cut to wade the next morning uh, observing a focus group of children tasting uh cereal and he gets a page from his ex, Cynthia, to come get the pills. And he finds Cynthia while working at a pet cloning business. And he drops her mail off to her that is still being sent to the house. Mm-hmm. And she reveals that the pills are nostalgia, which is an outlawed method of putting memories into pill form. A lot of interesting tidbits in that. The, yeah. uh, the cereal itself, the, the cut to the cereal with the, the smiley O's, mm-hmm. obvious, you know, visual reference. Um, and the cereal the, itself is Happy Harry's Smileyos, which Happy Harry is the name of the, the bar that Rorschach would always go into. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, the, the big question, she kills that dog, right? Yeah, she does. Oh, boy. That was... Just that was, disintegrates it. That was tragic. <laughs> yeah. That, <laughs> the part, like, I, I, I was watching that with uh, my fiance, and she, like, she actually... She didn't like start crying, but she was very upset about it. Oh, yeah. I knew as soon as I saw it and she asked like if there was any difference. I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't like where this is going to go. Yep, nope. It's going to, she's going to kill that cute little puppy dog. Yeah. Um, some interesting things uh, throughout this episode in particular with it being a looking glass episode is we see a lot of mirror imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, we see like the, the two pets that we see a lot of like and the twins that are or or maybe clones that are working at the uh, the facility yeah um so the fact that it's like looking glass or seeing mirrors uh, we see his reflection in a, his refrigerator at home mm-hmm. uh the the title of this week's episode we don't get to read it oh, facing it because yeah. it's flipped through you on know the, the glass that he's looking glass. through yeah so a lot of cool visual flares throughout this whole episode yeah and she uh she makes a comment that the uh the hat is back which Mm. (laughs) indicates it was an issue and then it wasn't and he's backsliding (laughs) yeah yeah and the whole nostalgia thing 
that is interesting that there are these pills that have been yeah well because in the comic was it was like the perfume nostalgia by Vite yeah it was yeah. a perfume and a uh, cosmetic line yeah run by yeah. Vite so in uh, on Pedipedia there's a little brochure for uh, nostalgia when it was legal and it's produced by True Technologies ah okay that which sense. made sense yeah. And with the uh, the revelation of that, it made me think, like, based on the stuff we saw in the previous episode, we see True's daughter, Beyond, wake up and she pulls an IV out of her arm and goes and tells her mom about this memory she seems to be experiencing of Vietnam. Um, I wonder if she's pumping her with nostalgia. Well, nostalgia. Could be. It's like maybe... Yeah, and because uh, then that would lend increase the theory that maybe she's not a clone, but maybe she was genetically engineered to an extent. Yeah, and the memories are being applied in that fashion. Yeah, there's a lot going on with the uh, just remembering in general with this of the past and where you came from. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't get to speak on this in the previous episode, but in Beyond's room and in uh, like True's Vietnamese biodome in general, we mm-hmm. see a lot of elephant imagery. In Beyond's room and in the the tea set that they're drinking out of, they're all like elephants, which you see a lot of elephants. You think, okay, well, elephants never forget is the one thing you think of. So that along with this nostalgia stuff and these memories her daughter's experiencing, there's this very present um, theme of don't forget where you came from. Don't forget this history. Um, And it's going on with Angela as well with her grandfather. Yeah. Uh, and it really ties into what Damon feels. Damon Lindelof feels like the, uh, a central theme to this show is, is your history and your heritage and how, where you came from informs who you are today. It also makes me think that whatever true's plan is, I think, it's got to be in some kind of a direct way associated with whatever happened in Vietnam when Dr. Manhattan was there. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. I think it's in some kind of a response to that. I don't know. But yeah. We'll I'm, I'm real. I'm real curious to see. Because I, I. Yeah. For the life of me, I can't figure out what her angle is in all of this. Mm-hmm. Scene is underscored at the end with the uh, careless whisper, an acoustic version. Oh, yeah. The slowed down yeah. vocal version this is very nice. And at uh Wade, he's arriving at the uh, support group meeting for people uh, struggling with extra-dimensional anxiety and PTSD from the event on November 2nd. And then there's a young man speaking about how his mother was in Brooklyn during the event. And he was born 10 years later, but he feels like he's inherited her pain. Yeah. Another thing going along with that theme of remembering where you came from Mm -hmm. and that trauma being passed down generationally. So a new woman named Renee enters the meeting. Uh... And Wade welcomes her. And Wade talks about how the squid's arrival saved everyone from nuclear annihilation because he's looking at it through that context. Yeah. Um, There is a light at the end of the tunnel. Then he goes out and he sees Renee in the parking lot and she tells him uh, that he's still in the tunnel. And she tells him to follow her. Well, then, so specifically when she walks in, he uh, he looks at her and he says, are you a friend of Nemo's? Yes. Uh, Which I thought was uh, an interesting way... Like I, I wasn't sure if that was in reference to something. Or... Um, that's in reference to friend of Bill. It, people who like walk into AA, it, you ask them if you're a friend of Bill, and that's talking about Bill W, who is the founder of AA. Okay. So it's like this secret code to ask, like, are you to make sure that they're there for the group? Mm-hmm. Yep. 
Interesting. Uh, that's that's a that's a nice little touch. I I didn't know that about the AA thing. So that's yeah, uh, I, I wouldn't have known either except for this episode. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, that's an interesting little touch. Just holding this meeting with a ton of people who are still experiencing this anxiety and trauma that came along with the event. Yeah. Um, and then, oh, and then of course the the lady that walks in, Trixie from yep, Deadwood. Exactly. Uh, it took me a while to place her. I was like, oh, who is it? Oh, yes, because I I went on IMDb immediately, uh, and they keep the cast so well locked down. Yeah, that she wasn't on at the time that it was airing. So I was like, and eventually I got it. Yeah. Well, that was uh, my fiance. Was, I was just like, oh, from Deadwood. I spent more time agonizing over her name because I kept wanting to say Trish. Uh, I was like, I know it's not Trish because that's just a weird prostitute name for the old West. And I was like, Oh, Trixie, that's what it is. But yeah, I'm glad glad to see that she's uh, she's still working. Yeah, and she was in the Deadwood movie. Yeah, yeah, the, the summer movie, which too. was great. Uh, yeah, and then they they talk for a bit, and then they yeah. end up at a at a bar. Yeah, and before that, we hear a careless whisper again on piano this yes. time, and this is the third version of it we hear in the episode, and we hear it for a fourth time at the end. Yeah, but it's. This really like awful way to keep pointing back to the event, and that you know we're associating it with that song that was happening. I don't know if the song itself is running through Wade's mind, but it's it's it, clearly it, like a motif yeah, that's recurring. It tells us that them. like this is consuming his life. It's yeah. consuming all of his emotions, his everyday thoughts, and we're hearing these different versions, which just like tells us. There are different renditions of these that are going through, but it's all still the same song yeah. and dance at the end. Uh, so Westworld is really great at that too, with uh, with its use of music mm-hmm. to kind of like convey mood and like subtext in scenes with the the, the piano versions. That I'm I'm blanking on that composer's name, but it's the same guy that did uh, the Game of Thrones theme song. Oh, Raymond Joani. Yes, yes, that's the one. Uh, yeah, who does like all those piano arrangements of like popular songs yeah. that that just work so well mm-hmm. in that series, and and Watchmen uh, makes similarly effective use of popular songs, and mm-hmm. they, I I missed that that was the only version of Careless Whisper that I don't think I caught is that piano version. So because like I recognized all the other times it popped up, but yeah. The, to just have it keep going through so frequently and in different incarnations is a nice touch. It's a cool way to keep incorporating these motifs that are in the comic. We see them all visually because that's the the medium we're reading it through. Whereas, all right, so we're on to a different medium. We're on to yeah, television. different ways so, of conveying So, yeah, it's, it's really cool to incorporate things that way as well. Yeah. So... Yeah, then we see uh, Wade and Renee at a bar having a conversation. And he's telling her about his job and how he can determine if people are lying. And then she puts that to the test by giving him two false occupations before telling him she's a radiologist. And then he asks her about her squid story. And she explains that she's embarrassed because he was actually there when it happened. And her connection is based solely off of an emotional connection to a movie called Pale Horse. And she's seen it over a thousand times. And that watching it makes her feel better. She also makes the comment, uh, Pale Horse directed by Steven Spielberg. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so he directed this, uh, another alternate history thing. This He made this instead of Schindler's List. Yeah, yeah, which is, which is really interesting. Because like, like, I'm going to make a movie about this big, tragic, awful thing. And then it's like, 
I'm going to do it about 11-2 instead of the Holocaust. Yeah. Which, uh, yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, another, like, I, I like these little interesting diversions that, that this alternate universe is taking. Cause like, again, obviously like the big ones, like Robert Redford being president mm-hmm. and like little things like Spielberg making a movie about this instead of, instead of world war two, yeah. specifically concentration camps. But yeah, just like nice little touches like this. And again, just that attention to detail and that world building. Like I feel even even at the show's like least dense scenes, like we're still finding out little snippets of information about this world that separates it from from the reality that mm-hmm. we exist in. Yeah. And and it's almost effortless. Like it's it's not beating us over the head like like I mean, yeah, uh Renee kind of like it's not quite a monologue but like it's this thing that she talks about and explains but like it doesn't feel like we're being overly explained to you like it's a natural conversation she's having and we're still learning something which is again just a testament to the writing of the show to how carefully crafted it is yeah she talks about how there's the little girl in the red coat which is that happens in Schindler's List. Yeah, and, yeah. You know Spielberg had this idea of this thing and he used it in something else and to me, it was really sad because Spielberg ended up making this movie in this history instead of Schindler's List, where they're both, you know, in, in, in this history and in our, our real history, like these are both like awful traumatic events. Yeah. Except him making Schindler's List and the cultural impact that that movie has had, it means something and it, it has an importance to that piece people in their history and i think it was an important story for him to tell yeah and it was deeply personal for him to make that and the fact that he made this movie called pale horse about an equally awful event yet we know that the event itself doesn't mean anything the the fact that it was all a hoax just robs it of yeah the the importance uh, of What's making this? like it. we we know that but yeah. they don't no which yeah, so it's uh, that's another level I didn't even think about it on, and then of course obviously the there's the the religious imagery of the name pale horse tied to mm-hmm. it because there's that 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 line behold the pale horse the man who sat upon it was death yeah uh, like talking about the end times and everything which I I never thought about before in the comic like and and tied it to that but then like the fact that he named the movie after that like. Because it's like, oh, that was the band that was playing Madison Square Garden. And I was like, that's that's a big pull. But like mm-hmm. again, also like it has that deeper meaning, that bigger tie to like this bigger like apocalyptic concept, essentially. Yeah, which makes a lot more sense in that connotation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then the two of them uh, go out and kiss in the parking lot while they're waiting for their rides, and Wade sees Renee off and notices that a head of romaine lettuce drops from the pickup truck. Yep. So then he uh, calls in the station and follows the truck to an abandoned apartment store. And when he searches the truck, he finds a gun and proceeds to enter and search the building. And then he discovers that the uh, he finds the church and the church ends up being a, a film set. Yeah. And all of a sudden, a, a basketball and a blue flash of light appears out of nowhere. And a cavalry member comes to retrieve it, and he follows the guy, and he discovers that a group of them are doing tests with a teleportation window. He confronts them, and Renee tells him, like, it was all a setup. We wanted to bring you here to, like, 
show you the truth and yeah. they like take him and apprehend him and take him away. Well, so that's how like comment too. She even makes the comment like we even rigged the lettuce to yeah. fall out of the truck. And I was like, I mean, I assume you just had a guy throw it out or whatever. <laughs> it's like, what, like what did you do? Like build build some kind of a oh Rube Goldberg device to like launch the lettuce like after you hit a bump or something. But but yeah, like the because uh, again, I I was really worried what was going to happen. Like because as soon as he goes after him without backup, I was like. Oh no! Is this about is this about to be the end of Looking Glass? Like what's happening? Yeah, here? But, I, I thought it was extremely like, stupid for him to. Oh, like, incredibly he, reckless! He didn't even wait on the backup. He called the backup in. Then he's like, "I'm just." And then like, yeah, like it, it makes sense to follow them, sure, but like to go in like unarmed, like that was nuts to me. Yeah. Well, and, he thought he was armed. But. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's true. So yeah, to go. To go in, mo- like potentially into a situation where he very realistically would end up being outnumbered for sure. Oh yeah, when I when he like comes out and there's just a whole group of them there, and he's just a single guy with a gun. I'm like, yeah, a what revolver are you doing, buddy? No less was yeah. like, like even if I don't think you could take all of them out before you ran out of bullets. No, he's not John Wick. Yeah, no. Oh man, John Wick <laughs> in this universe. But uh. Yeah, no, they apprehend him and they take him into another room, a room full of a, a wall of televisions, very similar to Adrian Veidt's. Yep. Um, and he is sat down and he's met by Senator Joe Keene in a yeah. cavalry mask. And Keene reveals that he's leading the 7th Cavalry to help maintain the peace. Um, and then Wade tells him, like, that's a lie. I don't know whether or not that's the truth or not because Wade should be able to tell the truth. Yeah. But, um, so then he asks Wade to turn Angela in as she's either killed Chief Crawford or she knows the person who did it and she's hiding it. Yeah. And then he leaves him with a video of Adrian Veidt recorded in 1985 and is addressed to Robert Redford as he takes office in 1993 where Veidt explains that Redford's election and everything leading up to it was orchestrated by him and he reveals that he created the event in 1985 that killed half the population of New York in an effort to stave off mankind's extinction from nuclear holocaust. And he's asking Redford to become his partner in an effort to create a new utopia. Yeah. God, yeah, so that scene, like, right right from the rip, even before he unmasked, I was like, that's that's the senator, right? <laughs> and, and then Wade, of course, even has that line. He's like, are you even trying to disguise your voice, Senator Keene? Yeah. Uh, so, like, Wade obviously figured it out real quick, too. So then the Senator Unmask. And he also explains that he and Jub were working in tandem yeah. to kind of keep the cavalry in line and using them to their benefit. I There was a, a, a letter in PDpedia a few weeks ago where it ties the Keene family with the Crawford family. For there, There's been generations of this. Interesting. Again, what it would... More explain the clan robe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I didn't catch uh, Wade's line where he tells the senator that's a lie. That's, yeah, so that's it. That's interesting. That adds because I mean that leaves that a little up for debate. Yeah, because so far happened. Wade has not been wrong. Yeah, and and, and uh, Renee even says earlier, like after they apprehend him, she's like, "I really am a radiologist." Yeah, like so. I mean, I, I was thinking about that. I'm like, well, he should be able to tell lies, and yet he was tricked into this. Yeah. And then, you know, I thought back on it and I was like, he was never lied to. Yeah. yeah. That's like she, she never said like, I'm not involved with the seventh Calvary. No. Like, I mean, everything she told him at that point was, 
was probably true because, like, I mean, she probably does have that association mm-hmm. with like the event, which makes even more sense because it would be easy to kind of like to to fake it. Like, I mean, it's it's essentially survivor's guilt more than mm-hmm. anything. It seems like she has, which I mean, w- we saw that like after the events of nine eleven, like a lot of people like kind of had that people who were so far removed from it, like people. Like uh, people's uh, visceral responses to like mass shootings when they happen, mm-hmm. like that states away, but like they're clearly affected on some level. Yeah. Which uh, there's absolutely like I mean, as long as you're not a sociopath, there's an element of truth to those responses and those feelings. So it makes sense that she would not be lying about having some kind of reaction to the event of mm-hmm. eleven two. Um, and then yeah, like no- nothing she really says is a lie. Like, I mean, she, she was, she was drunk, <laughs> which again was true. They were both a little drunk. They'd had a couple of beers. So, I mean, yeah, not like, so, I mean, I, I, I think Wade's not compromised in that regard at all. Uh, she just didn't lie to him, which I'm, it, it makes sense now, like how they knew who Wade was. Mm hmm. Because I was, I was wondering about that too, but then Keen mentioned that like he and Judd were working together. I was like, okay, that makes sense then. Like, and that that would explain how uh, they might have known about the officer if indeed that call was faked uh, to get Judd to come in earlier. Mm-hmm. Well, no, because that was uh, that was Will that apprehended him. So who knows? Yeah, who knows but... what the connection and the overlap between any like? There's so many gears. Yeah, because... turning in this. He wants Wade to turn Angela in so that they can have a few days, is what he says. Yeah. She, he wants her off the table for a few days, which seems to be the same amount of time that Lady True and Needs Will need. She's got so I'm like, on. yeah. What are they connected? Yeah. Are they connected? Are is there some kind of a thermodynamic miracle? That's, yeah. Yeah. It's God. Yeah. There. There is a lot going on. Hmm. Yeah, and they're using the the teleportation window for that purpose. It yes. seems like because he says it's the same teleportation window they were playing around with at the Institute for Transdimensional Studies in Herald Square on eleven two. Yes, I like the uh, the term squid pro quo. Yeah, oh, squid pro quo is a great line. <laughs> yeah, that that was really good. Uh, and then of course. Uh, Wade watches this video. Mm-hmm. Oh, and before and, he watches it, um, Keen gives him the remote, and he says, "You know, I'll, I'll let you like make the choice." And he says, "I leave it entirely in your hands." Which is those are the final lines of the book. Is yeah, Seymour being told that that not the Seymour from this show, but he works at the uh, at the, the, the New, New Frontier. Frontiersman before he picks up Rorschach's journal. So yeah. it's this. Is he or isn't he going to uncover the truth of this? It is use it in the same context. So that's that's really good. That's awesome. Um, and then of course he does, and he very visibly we see he is shaken. Yeah, like everything that he because everything that he has known, this trauma that has affected him, wasn't some like freak accident. Like it was orchestrated by this person who was essentially trumpeted as like, even before this, like kind of not necessarily a savior, but certainly 
an almost messianic figure mm-hmm. who like had done all these great things for humanity and then he was behind like one of the if not the greatest tragedy of like the modern era yeah i'm trying to think who in our modern culture could possibly like equate to what adrian Veidt and there's like, not represented like adrian I mean, Veidt, like he's kind of you know uh, kind of elon muskish yeah but elon like musk but but even then like i mean that's it's like a it's more a parallel of convenience just because of all the things that musk has done as opposed to like character wise and similar mm-hmm. like similarities like there but i mean that's in terms of the scope and reach of like his organization and what he does it's probably the closest yeah real life approximation that i can think of yeah just somebody who's just so well beloved too yeah as a person i can't think of anybody who would tom fit hanks. that bill oh yeah imagine <laughs> if, if tom if hanks, tom hanks engineered a transdimensional hoax he does it in the mr rogers uh, sweater <laughs> <laughs> but uh i mean spielberg does work with tom hanks a lot yeah he does so there's there's a connection there but yeah, so like I mean, this this one event that is essentially defined well over probably half of Wade's life. Mm-hmm. Like he finds out that it's. I mean, it obviously still happened, but like not under the circumstances that he thought it did. Like his his entire world has literally just been turned on its head. Yeah, and does it even mean anything at this point? Yeah. Knowing that, I don't know because. At a certain point when something defines you and all of who you are is tied into that and all of your decisions and your personality and your fears and your thoughts have been... And literally he, and every, doesn't take everything away the fact you do, that, his daily routine is influenced. By. Yeah, and there are these images and sounds and thoughts that have been implanted in his brain as well. And those aren't fake. Like, they were fabricated, but, but like he still experiences them. It's not he can't escape them. And I, I think it's so interesting. Um, there's also in careless whisper, there are four lines of lyrics, which I think kind of talk about this and it's to the heart and mind. Ignorance is kind. There is no comfort in the truth. Pain is all you'll find. Yeah. So the truth doesn't give him any comfort. Yeah. Keen seems to think like, Hey, you're going to watch this and you're going to feel so much better. And it's like, well, Keen, you weren't there. You didn't experience. Yeah, this. you have you, no clue how how a survivor is going to respond. Wait, I mean, it's it's so weird. Like, I mean, that's not an uncommon thing. Like, so many people, when they're on the outside of something, just assume it's like, oh no, you're going to feel this way. It's like you can't know how that person's going to react. Like, you can't know what that person's going through. Like any of it. Yeah. And uh, to assume that that you somehow know better than someone, like just the audacity and just kind of the the lack of hubris there is insane. Mm-hmm. So like I'm, yeah, I mean obviously, and then we we see how this affects Wade to the point where like he's almost he's almost like a passenger in his own body the rest of the episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like he's. Even at his like most shaken up until this point, like he's still been in control to some extent. But like this, it's almost like he's just watching himself kind of move along 
like the the remainder of the episode and what he does and what he says like he's just so shocked and kind of kind of taken out of himself and we'll see if he can get himself out of that in in the future oh i hope so uh, i th- i think he will cuz uh and then we move on is uh the is camera the pl- yeah well after that the camera zooms into the background oh, of yes. adrian's video and that transitions into a pot of liquid being stirred. Yes, and another one of those great transition yeah. shots. We see we, present day Vite suiting up in his uh, homemade spacesuit. Yep. as a multitude of clones help prepare him for the catapult. They launch him out and he arrives on a, a terrain in space where he gathers all of the frozen bodies of Crookshanks and Phillips and he creates a message um, for an orbiting satellite. The message me reads, save me D. And he triumphantly shouts and he puts his arms up. I did it before he is pulled back into his prison where the game warden is. And the game warden removes Vite's helmet and places him under arrest for disobeying him. Yep. And Vite tells him and all of them that their God has abandoned them. The warden says that God has left them and it's unlikely he'll return. So no mercy it is as he stomps on Vite's face. Yeah. So this is a, uh, so Michelle, my fiance, she, uh, she pointed out a couple of things during this. Uh, she's almost positive that uh, what v, uh, Vite lands on when he's in space is one of the moons of Jupiter. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this was more just a funny observation, but the warden looks almost exactly like Carrie Elwes in Princess Bride with the, oh, the mask. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't think it's Carrie Elwes. Uh, I, I actually think it's another Mr. Phillips. Mm, that just with a mustache growing mm-hmm. in. Yeah, that makes sense. But it but yeah, it, it very much looked like <laughs> Carrie Elwes when he's uh, disguised as the Dread Pirate Roberts in uh, mm. Princess Bride. It, even the mustache is almost perfect. Yeah. No, the uh, yeah where he lands is probably more than likely Europa, which is I yeah, I think that's was, what she said yeah. was yeah. Jupiter moons because you can tell it's definitely Jupiter he's looking at. Yeah, and Europa is this place where they think that we might find life one day based on what it has going for it, and uh-huh. it has uh, satellites that orbit it every once in a while. Uh, there so. you go. Um, yeah, a I, lot of questions there. It, it seems like he got really confident in between the last time and now where he's like, I'm, I'm ready to go myself. Yeah. And he's got oxygen being fed to him through, through tubes, through mm-hmm. his line, as opposed to a tank that, that's going out with them. Yeah. Yeah. And he's wearing the, the rose on his, uh, his suit, mm-hmm. which is an interesting little flare. And the, the question, the big question is who is D? Yeah. Yeah. I, maybe, so I, I thought maybe. Dreidberg or D for Dr. Manhattan. Dr. Manhattan, yeah. Um, I don't, we don't know what Lady True's first name is. Oh, that's true. If, if her first name starts with a D, I don't know. Yeah, and par- part of me is assuming, part of me wonders if the God he's referring to is in fact Dr. Manhattan. That's what I thought too, is Dr. Manhattan created this place and these people. Yeah, because I mean, it, if like, if he literally passes through a point and he's in space so quickly, like... It stands to reason that it's probably somewhere in space where he's kind of set up this essentially Garden of Eden, like you mm-hmm. called it earlier. And it, it, it makes sense that, like, it's how he's pulling, like, these clones out of a lake. 
Mm-hmm. So, so that's that's definitely kind of kind of what I'm thinking at this point because because like Doctor Manhattan before he before he leaves he even says like I'm gonna go maybe try to create some yeah. life of my own and and I think it stands to reason that that this place that uh, Adrian has been exiled to is is that world that Doctor Manhattan has mm-hmm. successfully created finally. Yeah, I think so. Which if if this this is all true, we're kind of speculating here but that tells us that there is more history between the two of those characters that's happened in the the past 35 years and yeah especially if he's been exiled Mm -hmm. which yeah i that i'm very curious like i i feel like eventually we're gonna get an entire adrian episode yeah i really hope so like i mean i mean at this point like we've got a looking glass episode it looks like next episode is going to be very much about will will uh uh just through the eyes of Angela, it seems. So, I mean, yeah, I feel like we have to get an Adrian episode. Yeah, I think point. Lady True and Adrian are the two that we yeah really I mean, I, need. And maybe Crawford as well. I think we're going to yeah. get some Crawford in the next episode, but yeah, I think he still needs more Yeah, because we, we don't know a lot of what's going on, like especially the stuff between him and Keen that Keen mentions in this mm-hmm. episode. How many, what do we have, five episodes left? Four now. Four. Yeah, oh only wow! Nine, nine episodes. So. Wow. Yeah. So we're we're in the back stretch of it now. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'm. Oh, man, that's. That seems like so little to tie things up. Yeah. I. <laughs> I. I mean, I, I'm confident they're going to pull it off, but mm-hmm. it's. I mean, like like we've said, like every episode, it it answers something and then poses three new questions almost yeah. uh, consistently. Then we uh, cut from there. Uh, well, when he says "no mercy for you," we see a woman spraying mercy uh, like a perfume, yeah, yeah, the perfume. Uh, as Wade's watching another focus group, and this is like what you said—he's like a passenger in his own yeah, body. Yeah, kind of out of it. See a montage of him getting ready and going through his routine, and it's intercut with memories uh, of the 1985 event, underscored by another careless whisper rendition. Mm-hmm. He arrives back at the precinct and takes a seat at his desk. And Angela calls him for an update on the pills. And she comes over to his desk and he tells her that they're nostalgia. And he asks whose memories they belong to. Well, actually, before that, he calls her over by just like, he's so like, like gone. Defeated. He just like asks, is anything real or is anything true? Yeah, is, what, is anything true is what he says, which... It's directed at Angela um, to get the truth out of her, but it's definitely just a a blanket statement. Yeah, like he he's very much like right he. Th- this is, I mean, we before this moment we have never seen him anything less than confident mm-hmm. because we like, and that's it, his whole thing is knowing what's true and what isn't. Yeah, and that's been ripped away from him. Yeah, that's after all these years of of being able to tell when people are lying, when something's real, and then finding out that this big event that has shaped him was orchestrated. Uh, it's it's just rattled him to the point where he he doesn't even trust himself and his own perceptions anymore. Yeah, very true. <laughs> which which is literally the core of his character. Yeah, I, I'd never thought about it that way. Like the only like part of him is where he draws his confidence from is, is knowing is, what's real and what yeah. isn't. Which we never talk about that either. Is this 
ability he has to read people and tell the truth. I wonder if it's a byproduct of, of the, the event. Blast. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we don't get an explanation there, but I'm kind of assuming maybe it is. Yeah. Like part of me thinks it might be part of me thinks, I mean, again, like even, uh, even like being betrayed at the hands of that top knot girl, mm-hmm. like, cause that shaped him as well because he thought things were heading in one direction. Yeah. And like, it, it quite literally could have been as simple as him becoming a student of like human psychology and like kind of the pathology of lying. Cause I mean, there, there are ways that there are, there are telltale signs in people that you can look for uh, when they're lying that, that a lot of people who do interrogations use, whether they're in law enforcement or whatever, like ways like a certain way, like if the eyes look like, is to access information or is it's to create information like little, little things like that are, are things that can be learned and taught. So, I mean, part of me thinks that he's just a very devoted student mm-hmm. of that practice. But I mean, it, again, like it, it, there, there's every reason to think that it could also be a result of the psychic blast as mm-hmm. well and somehow affecting him. Yeah. Because I mean, obviously he got the PTSD out of it, but I mean, there there's no reason to think that it couldn't have affected him in other ways as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, yeah, then he asks Angela whose memories they belong to, and that he wants to help, and she tells him she just kind of lays everything out on the table. Mm-hmm. And then he tells her he's sorry as Blake comes out of her office and orders everyone to handcuff Angela. And before they can, she downs the entire bottle of pills and yep. just yells why as they escort her away. Blake, so, uh, Blake looks over at Wade and he just puts the looking glass mask back on mm-hmm. to hide. Which this episode further proves Blake's theory about hiding pain with masks. Yeah, yeah. Because he, yeah, he obviously is very conflicted about it. Point where he he apologizes to Angela mm-hmm. for for putting her in that position. Part part of me wonders if this also like I I feel like this is gonna end up obviously it's gonna move things forward but like part of me feels like th- this needed to happen mm-hmm. like obviously it needed to happen because that's the way they wrote it but but uh, but yeah I'm I'm real curious to kind of see like what Lori's reaction is to this information. And, like, kind of how things proceed at this point. Yeah. No, I'm interested as well because it also, this seems silly now in retrospect, but now we're like, what's the point of Lube Man? Because he's the one who saw her dropping the wheelchair off. So we think he's like a loose thread. But now that everybody knows, yeah, like, what, what purpose does he serve? And I feel like that should be, like, a question that's addressed at some point. Yeah. I mean... It, I mean, if the theory holds out that Lube Man is Petey, yeah, which I mean, we've not seen any compelling evidence to think that it's anyone else. Uh, I mean, maybe, and again, like he's clearly well versed in superheroes and that lore. Like, I mean, who who does he yeah. truly serve? Like, maybe he's in with Lady Druid for all we know. Yeah, we like I mean, it, if if the seventh cavalry thing goes as high as a senator like and law enforcement why not an fbi agent yeah that's very true. like an fbi agent who doesn't even necessarily seem super high on the totem pole who seems kind of on the ground level of things for the most part mm-hmm. 
Another interesting thing that happened in that scene, before everything, all the heavy stuff took place, Panda and Red Scare, they're talking about American Hero Story, and Panda Panda has a theory that Hooded Justice is Dr. Manhattan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which... And it's so funny that they inserted like that conversation in this episode, and they shot that, and it's like they knew this show in itself was going to inspire those kinds of conversations to like actually be happening uh, about this show specifically. So it's kind of meta. <laughs> very, that. very much so. But and, and again, too, cause like, I mean, we've literally, we, we've not seen American hero story as much as we initially thought, I, yeah, we were I thought we were going to get more. Cause I, I remember like the first episode we, we thought it might be kind of like the black freighter of the series. And so far we've seen two, Scenes. Two clips, like we we saw the promo, and then we saw the hooded justice robbery scene, and then hooded justice <laughs> Captain Metropolis scene, and that's and like none of those have really given us a whole lot of like insight no. into anything. Mm-hmm. I feel like I mean the it was definitely kind of cool to see because like that that's the majority of the popular culture that we're experiencing in this world as well is that uh, is just through American Hero Story, because even, I feel like even the music at this point, is it's all, uh, like, with the exception of, like, obviously the score from uh, Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor, even the pop music, I feel like, is all stuff that existed 85 or earlier. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't feel like we've seen anything post- the event nothing that i can immediately think of yeah that's probably intentional because with the alternate history they're like well yeah they want to keep it to that which again i think like i said i i could be wrong i haven't gone through the soundtrack with a fine-tooth comb but everything i can think of like the george michael uh the the devo song even the because the devo song is 70s i think yeah i think you're right everything has been pre the event Mm -hmm. and from that scene we see wade arriving home he pulls into his driveway and he looks over at his reflected teen lined hat in the passenger seat and decides to leave it as he approaches his house and he finds the replacement alarm for his uh eds system Mm -hmm. and he puts it out with the garbage and then comes back and and gets it and then a van full of armed cavalry members pulls into his driveway and they approach his house. Yeah. Which, so I'm, yeah, I'm real curious where this is going now because they're, they walk in, they're literally racking their weapons. Oh yeah. I, I mean, at this point, a assuming that, that he survives, whatever comes next, like it, it clearly seems like the cavalry's gotten their use out of him. Yeah. Cause literally like, Keen just wanted Angela out of the picture for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And now that that's happened... And he knows the truth about... Or yeah. Or at least a portion of the truth of what's happening with them. Yeah, like the way Adrian took out all the people who created the squid in yeah. the comics. So, it's yeah, now just tying up loose ends. Yeah. Because I can't imagine that they're there to talk. <laughs> no. And, and it all seems like kind of lower level because, like, they're all males, uh, it seems like. So mm-hmm. we don't see Renee in the mix. So it's And she she seems like she clearly at least ranks a little bit higher in the order of things because she was calling the shots during the scene where he confronts them. I, I'm hoping we get a really badass fight scene. That's what I'm, I'm hoping, episode. yeah. Because we, 
God, we haven't really got one in a while. No. Like yeah. I mean, the, the show is great, but the it's not it's not super action packed. No, it's not. Which I which, I mean, but I mean, neither is the comic. No, not at all. Which I I think is totally fine. But I mean, but so like when they do action sequence, like that raid, and like the trailer fight, like in the first episode, like they've been really well done. In issue eight of the comics, one of my favorite sequences is the. Rorschach being busted out of prison sequence. Oh yeah, yeah. So Crazy. I'm I'm hoping I mean at some point in these next four episodes I'm looking to get something like a prolonged like action yeah, sequence. Like yeah. Yeah, we'll see uh yeah, if Wade is somehow ready for them, if he's called in like maybe Red Scare and Pirate Jenny as like backup where he didn't have backup before and yeah. ready for I, we'll see what what goes on there. Cuz that, that's what I think too. If we really outside of a Crookshanks and uh, Phillips. Judd, Judd is the only main character that's been killed, and even that, like, has happened off screen. Mm-hmm. So we've not really seen a main character or a bigger character die. No, outside of like the occasional Seventh Cavalry member or whatever. No, yeah, I can't think of any. So yeah, I'm I, I'm real curious if we're we're about to. Any I hope not. Or otherwise, yeah. I, I'll, I'll be well, it seems sad. like they're leading things in that direction that he's in trouble. I don't know. <laughs> I was going to say, like, I, I don't think it's... I don't think they would telegraph a death. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Like, they, they've kept us on our toes yeah. so far. So, yeah. But then I think a lot of people might be anticipating him getting out of it. And so... They go the they, other way on it. But that... The way that the, the episode is structured and the way you structure television like that wouldn't be to lead you with suspense and then kill the guy at the beginning of the next episode. Like yeah. it, it would be more of a shocker to like kill him at the end. Yeah, but, like have him survive everything and mm-hmm. then later. Yeah, really, really great episode. It might be my favorite of the series thus far. Yeah, it was. I, I liked it a lot. And I mean, er, everyone in the show is amazing. If Tim Blake Nelson doesn't get nominated for something. Oh yeah. Like it, it, I mean, and that's the thing. It's like, there's not a single lightweight in the main cast. Mm-mm. Like Gene smart has been phenomenal as Lori. Regina uh, King. Yeah. Regina King's been great. Like, I mean, and I've, she's never been somewhere where like I've been unimpressed by her, but like, this is like, this is kind of the role that I feel like a lot of actors like spend a career like working towards yeah and a lot of people when it's like oh well it's only tv is like first off it's not tv it's hbo secondly <sighs> like the, the idea that tv acting is somehow below film acting is so stupid to me i mean like case in point you've got jeremy irons who's a very accomplished like very veteran film actor but like like he's still amazing in this show the fact that it's a tv series doesn't make that role less impressive it doesn't make his work in that role less valid than anything he's done in in film like the the fact that breaking the fact that game of thrones can literally have a season that cost more than some films mm-hmm. and, and like that, that it's nuts that anyone could look at it and be like oh it's just tv it's yeah and it's not as good like the no you're, you're in, and the marvel shows are producing as well are having huge film style budgets yeah and so i mean it's it, it's really interesting too because like especially with so much like it's just kind of an aside with so much 
content being created with streaming platforms as well. Like, you know, like obviously HBO exists as a cable network, but like, you know, that with like Disney plus entering the picture with things like the Mandalorian, like I feel like we're kind of seeing the pendulum swing the other way on television now. Yeah, I think most people watch HBO via streaming, via HBO Now, and with them launching HBO Max next year, yeah. is, is it just being a streaming platform? I think it's just going to be what it gets rebranded as. Oh, yeah. And I mean, but but to see like all of these amazing, like uh, super well-done shows, like I think they're, because I mean, how, how long have, we've been reading stories about like piracy hurting the film industry and like stories about like less and less people going out to the theaters and stuff like this because mm-hmm. more people want to stay home and do things like, I, I don't, I don't think film's going to disappear completely, but we're definitely seeing like this push for, for better and more TV programming. Oh yeah. And, and, uh, and I mean, and I think that's great. I, I don't think it's less valid and frankly, anyone who does is a dumb idiot. <laughs> that's that's my big capper on that. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, yeah, films used to be my primary way of consuming stories. Yeah. And that every year that lessens, that every year, like, I see fewer movies and I watch more television series. Yeah. And I mean, I, and I still because go of, to, like, yeah, there's like a convenience There's so factor. much coming yeah. out. Well, yeah, and, and that's the thing, too, is like, and I'm not even in a position where like you were like, you know, I've got like kids, I like working nine to five. Like you've got like all these things that might keep you from being able to do things like the way we do it. You know, it's it's not like in college when we could go see a movie whenever we wanted to because you've got other things in your life. And a lot more people are falling into that category now, like especially as we get older. People settle down. They start having kids. They start doing things like that that cuts into that leisure time where you can sit at home and spend time with your family and watch a television show. Mm-hmm. You you take three or four kids out to the theater. It becomes uh, like j- just this big thing, which is not to say it's not possible, but like usually you're also limited. What you, like you can't take a couple of young children to go see John Wick 4. <laughs> so like, it, it, yeah, just like seeing it become kind of tailored towards that and more considered of that is, is really cool. And, and I say that as a person who still sees movies fairly frequently, like I, I'm on a tangent now. I don't even know what my point was. I just got real, real philosophic and romantic about movies and television. So, Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just, a really awesome hour of television told a wonderful, like heartbreaking origin story. That's like very haunting. I've just been thinking about it since I watched it and how, how awesome it was. And yet how sad it was. Mm -hmm. I just feel really sad for the, the Wade slash looking glass character now. Yeah. And I mean, God, yeah. And like every time I'm thinking about it, like just how it's like literally affected his love life even. Mm-hmm. Like th- there is no part of his life that is unaffected by what happened to him. Yeah, and it's nuts. Like it's it's honestly, I mean, it's it's more tragic than like a Batman origin story even. Because like, yeah, Batman seeing his parents gunned down was terrible. It's an awful thing. But like, I mean, at some point you could move on from that. Mm-hmm. Like, it, this is essentially if Batman had seen his parents murdered 
in front of him two million times. Along with uh, like a psychic blast being yeah, shot yeah. through his head. <laughs> like, yeah, literally just getting wonked in the head with like a mental EMP. Yeah. Just really wonderful, awesome television. I look forward to seeing where this continues to go and all of the characters and all of the plots that they continue to unveil for us. But uh, in the meantime, until we watch the next episode, Dustin, where can people find you at? Uh, Just check out DustinMeadowsComedy.com. It's got all my upcoming shows, my blog, uh, links to all my various social medias and all that. Awesome. And you can find the show um, at who watches pod on uh, Twitter and on Instagram and Facebook. You can email us at who watches podcast at gmail.com. And you can find the show on Apple podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and wherever you find your podcasts, as well as YouTube, where every episode is uploaded. Um, and please subscribe to us and leave us review on Apple podcasts as those are very appreciated. And this week as well, we also launched our first episode of Mandalorian Minute, where we talked about the new Disney Plus series, The Mandalorian, which goes a lot into the awesome, exciting things that are happening in television as opposed to film right now in the Star Wars universe. So if you're interested in that, uh, please check it out. And we look forward to Sunday's next episode of Watchmen and joining you all to discuss it next week. Thank you and good night. Good night.